And now the way I understand movement and the systemic capacity, it seems like that systemic could help so many athletes by expanding their idea of movement and how they move their bodies in the way that we do. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I've known you for a wee while now in the uh, in the Systema training capacity, and I've, uh, I've kind of seen you evolve from your first kind of dip in a toe all the way through to having your own training group up there. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're based and and what you get up to when you when you are and when you're not doing Systema? I live in Vermont and I travel to do Sistema. Um, I, about six years ago, a woman that I was friends with at the time uh, told me about it. And so I started researching it and saw a bunch of videos of Vlad's and your group and your promotional video from like 2006 or something. And, oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, what caught me was that that's kind of what got me really interested because you talked about um, stress and like helping relieve anxiety and like kind of what it can help you with in your daily life. Mm. And so that kind of got me a lot really, really interested in it because I was dealing with and still am like a lot of autoimmune problems and was realizing the connection between stress and what was going on with my body. And when I was seeing what I was you know, observing in the videos, I, I see that as a way to, you know, recondition what has been conditioned, you know, how to, how to actually like do these little things in order to recondition the nervous system. So that, that's kind of what got me caught, you know. So, so, not, so not so much the self-defense aspect, it wasn't that you were looking for kind of like a self-protection thing or something as, as quite a few women who come to martial arts do, they're looking for some you know, confidence and defending themselves and things. That wasn't really the main driver. It was more the stress and resilience aspect. Yeah, that was 100% why I got into it. But of course, the self-defense stuff is is useful and it's really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you were um, and kind of in terms of kind of your athletic stuff before doing Sistema, you played softball for quite a few years. Is that right as well? Yeah, I played softball through college. And um, so... Uh, it's very different than Sistema. You know, I came to Sistema thinking, oh, okay, I was a little intimidated, but you know, I'm an athlete. I can, I can do uh, a lot of these different physical things come pretty easily. I've had lots of training, yeah. but it's, it's so different. You move in these just very sort of linear or certain planes of movement. And it was very difficult. It was really challenging to, to change that, that whole paradigm shift of movement for mm. me. So you mean as an athlete, you move in kind of linear repetitive planes and then Sistema, it asks you to kind of break out of that box a little bit. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, like softball or even just training for sports, you you know, you're doing heavy lifting in the gym and you're doing like plyometrics and, you know, all these different kinds of things, which are like focused on strength and, you know, explosive movement or, you know, hand-eye coordination stuff. And, and while that's all great, it's just it's sort of just ingraining these same, same patterns over and over again, where mm. I have like knee injuries and shoulder surgery. And, and now the way I understand movement and the systemic capacity, it just, it's, it seems like that's 
Systema could help so many athletes by expanding their idea of movement and how they move their bodies in the way that we do. Yeah, and certainly um, increasingly people are, are finding that, right? There's quite a few high-level athletes that train with Martin Wheeler. I know at the, the Academy in Beverly Hills, there's uh, you know some NFL guys, some NBA guys, professionals who during the off-season and here and there either go and do private classes with him or they roll into classes to expand their mobility and you know recover and things. And, and also up at HQ, I think in Vladimir's class, he's got some um, professional sportsmen in different um, different aspects, a couple of boxers up there, I think, and even one um, at, uh, mixed martial arts guy who <laughs> I think he does underground mixed martial arts fighting which is pretty rough <laughs> but he uh, yeah he uh, trained up at Vlad's place too and, and extols the virtues so that's interesting so did you what, did you think your your first experience of it really sold you on all the benefits or was it kind of a gradual onboarding for you it, it sold me but it was very hard and that um it sold me because I guess because it was hard and because uh I knew that it was changing the way that I thought about movement and and had been moving my entire life and I I believed I believed in what I thought it was doing you know I, I believed in the idea of what I thought it could do for my health and and so I was willing to overcome you know all of that discomfort um it was really challenging at first because I didn't have a local group so like for the last five years or I've been just traveling, I go to seminars and like you've seen me from the beginning and, and just right from the beginning, just starting off in warmups, moving around on the ground. It was so frustrating. I was like, what do you mean move around on the ground? But, you know, I would just have these same movements where I'd sit up, get down. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do with my body. I don't know what to do with my body. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it was, it was just really frustrating because it was very different than anything I had really ever done in a movement before. Mm. Do, you, do you feel like um, we as Systema instructors do enough to kind of help people over that initial hump? Because I see you, you're not alone in that uh, thought pattern or that experience, right? I've seen other people come into it. Some just take to the, the freedom of movement with just pure joy. They're like, wee, I get to play. I'm like a little kid again, like straight away. And, and others, and funny enough, others typically who are trained in specific sporting patterns uh, want to know what it is they're supposed to do, right? And they have trouble, some initial trouble just kind of letting go and, and freeing themselves up. Do you, do you think we do enough to kind of give people a framework and encourage them past it? Or is it is that a necessary part of your growth into the style, do you think, just experiencing that discomfort and, and like temporary Ill at, being ill at ease with not being able to do it, whatever it is supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, um, I think that instructors that I've come in contact with do do a great job at it. They, I feel like, um, you need a little bit, you know, I need a little bit of direction, like here, try this. Like when I do private with you or something and I'm like, I'm stuck in doing these same movements and then you just give me ideas and then I start with those ideas and then I can flow into some more, um, of my own, you know, spontaneous movement from there, you yeah. know, like just giving, giving you a little bit of something to get sort of unstuck but not not kind of dictating what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that. And that wouldn't be what I want either. I think that that discomfort is part of what makes it so valuable, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I've, you know, it's the Sistema world and just getting through that discomfort opened up my view of uh, learning through discomfort and, and what can you, what can come out of the other side of that? 
you know, beyond Sistema, you know, like, you know, with dousing and just like doing things that make you uncomfortable throughout your life, you know, just pushing yourself a little bit more and working with that. And there's so much reward on the other side of that. Yeah. But I feel like that that is one of the beautiful parts about learning Sistema is that it can have that effect on you. So, so tell us a little bit more about um, the dousing because that's something not everybody that trains Sistema gets into. I've certainly... I've been dousing for about a decade now <laughs> and yeah. my kids do it and my wife douses and, and there's, there's a good number of other instructors who are into dousing, cold water dousing. And um, most of the people listening to this podcast will already know what it is from a system perspective. But um, I've seen your, um, you know, your videos and your posts from up in Vermont. You, it seems like you do it year round, kind of rain, wind or snow. And you visit these kind of like a swimming holes in Vermont where it's kind of ice and it's frozen and you crack the ice and you go for the kind of full body immersion more of the, in, in the, in the manner of kind of the Wim Hof method and that kind of stuff. Yeah. What, what brought you to that? Was it, um, was Sistema brought you towards the dousing at first or did you study it first via Wim Hof or what was your, what was your road in there? Uh, it was Sistema. Um, it was actually you and uh, Lloyd who, uh, you know, after maybe like a year of d- doing Sistema and I would talk to you guys about things I was dealing with and mm. almost every, you know, symptom I was dealing with, your response was to douse. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, there's so much resistance. Like, no, nah, I don't know. And then, you know, just dealing with the chronic headaches and the fatigue and, you know, the things that, you know, I'm dealing with. You j- I just got desperate. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this dousing thing. And, you know, it was really one of the things that that helped me be able to do anything else in the day. You know, um, it, it at least gives me that immediate relief. It gives me pain relief. My mood is enhanced, you know, almost instantly. I have a burst of energy. Um, so, yeah, I started with the dousing and then I just, you know, I have access to the, you know, rivers all around me. So just started doing it in, in the water just because it feels good to get fully immersed. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, first Sistema and then just kind of progressed a little bit from there just based on what I felt like. So do you, um, do you recommend that practice to, to your own students? Because you have a, a training group there now in um, at where you are in Vermont, right? Yeah, um, we haven't gotten talk talking too much about that yet uh they know that i do it and we've had a few um short conversations about it and some of them are interested in it and saying hey i want to talk to you about that more but we haven't really we haven't really um you know got too much into that yet yeah because i'm working with a a group down here as you know um, on a on a longer research project and um and the people who run the project who fund it and the, the scientists who kind of are studying the data and the effects and things like that. Um, once the, once or twice I've, I've talked about dousing and stuff like that to the, to the people who are in, in these stress intervention things that I'm doing and, uh, and the, the bosses get very, very nervous about it. They're like, Oh, you don't want to, you know, encourage people to pour cold water over their head boy, they have a cardiac condition and they suddenly have a heart attack or whatever happens and that kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's difficult because you can't treat everybody as if they're so fragile that they, that they couldn't do anything at all. Right. Because that, that breeds its own kinds of, kinds of problems. Right. If people aren't willing to, move towards any kind of discomfort at all, then they just become kind of trapped in a shell of their own perceived comfort, right? It's so it's a difficult thing. Have you, had, how did you kind of get over that barrier given that you came to Sistema, you know, not as kind of a clean slate, but you came in, as you said, with some, with some chronic pain and some kind of autoimmune things that had been 
that you've been kind of dealing with for a little while and that kind of stuff. What was it you think that made you feel like, well, this is not going to make things worse. This can only make things better. Um, well, can you rephrase? Like, are you asking what made me kind of take that jump into doing it? Yeah, kind of like, cause a lot of people would, would otherwise, if whether they had chronic pain, not necessarily through um, the same mechanisms that you've experienced it, but they're like, Oh, I have an injury or something. And I'm like, Oh, the cold wolf dousing could help with that. And they're like, Oh, I don't want to make it cold. Cause then it will get stiff and then it will feel worse. You know, uh -huh. or if somebody has like a respiratory issue, and you recommend cold water dousing and then they're like, Oh, I can't do that. Cause I might catch a cold like in that old kind of idea of like, if you get cold, then the cold gets in your bones and then you yeah. get a cold, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, so lots of people are resistant to experiencing more discomfort if they're already in discomfort, you know? So okay, yeah. what did, what did you think was different about your mindset coming into it? Um, I think I, I had had enough experience with sort of, traditional like western medicine and none of that really helped so much and the whole i guess paradigm shift of just understanding that going through temporary discomfort can lead to you know some great great effects on you and i didn't know what that would be i didn't know if it would be effective but um sort of opening my mind to what's possible yeah that's been sort of part of kind of my whole healing journey is just you know not shutting those doors to what I already think is you know whatever that may be and yeah. so yeah so just like being open to things and just just being open to what I feel in the moment instead of trying to find reasons like why it wouldn't work because I did that for a long time your world gets really small like when you're not feeling well and like you have conditions and, uh, you know, social interactions and lights and sounds and things make you feel sick, your world smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's very easy to be like, oh, this will this won't work because this will make me feel that, you yeah. know, so you have to kind of just understand or make a commitment to like making your world bigger again, you know, and yeah, well so you, said. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it almost seems to me sometimes as if, you know, for all of, for all of its powers and its undeniable effectiveness in so many realms of health, right? The, the, the kind of Western medical health paradigm of let's spot the symptoms, let's try and diagnose the underlying condition, and then let's either treat it pharmacolo pharmacologically, right? Or we'll yeah. kind of remove something. So we'll remove movement or we'll remove some food from your diet or something like that, right? They're kind of taking away. And it's almost like um, the whole paradigm treats us like we're super fragile. Right, that that uh, that we're very very fragile creatures that could easily break, and if we're already a little bit bent or broken, then we'd better not tweak it anymore because you never know what might happen. Um, like the old paradigm of back pain, it used to be that if you you know went to a doctor with you know uh, chronic back pain or intractable back pain, the advice used to be rest, you know, stay still for weeks or months on end, you know, <laughs> don't use yeah. your back and it will get better, right? But now it's that's that's come around and it's it's that no, you need to kind of you know. You might need some pest, uh, some rest during the, the acute phase, but then you need to try and get it moving as soon as possible. And the whole field of physiotherapy kind of has grown alongside some of that belief as well, you know. But um, but it seems to me that the, the standard paradigm is kind of super fragility, and yet Systema and Alloyed practices like it seem to subscribe to anti-fragility, right? That, um, that our bodies become weaker if we don't test them, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, the anti-fragile is is so 
that book, you know, goes right along with that whole mindset, you know, yeah. that's influenced the way I do things as well. Um, yeah. Definitely. So, um, do you feel like you've, um, your experience in Sistema has been different given that you're coming in as a woman uh, and that, that you've been treated any differently by the people that you train with because you're a female? Because I've, I've heard differing things from uh, women training in Sistema, mostly from the ones that, that um, in seminars actually in other places <laughs> that I've gone, um, but less so from the students that we have here because I think we just kind of have an attitude of just everybody's in and you train to the extent that you feel comfortable with and it doesn't matter whether you're male or female or big or small, you just kind of graduate the level and intensity of training to what it appears your partner can handle. And that's regardless of their gender or anything, right? So it could be a, um, you know, a strong athletic woman and she could take way more than a less athletic skinny guy or a guy without very much build or something like that. So to me, it's not really gender dependent. There are obviously some targets and striking that you might want to avoid a little bit. <laughs> They're a little bit different and things like that. But um, I don't see it as fundamentally different in the, in the way of training. But, um, but some instructors take a different um, stance on that and they feel like it, it is fundamentally different do you have you experienced any of those differences and do you feel like there should be a different approach for women I personally have not um mm. I I can see how some that that could happen you know I can see how that could happen I I feel like I've been lucky enough that all of all of the instructors I've come in contact with uh exactly how you just said they you know they treat me as if they see where I'm at and give me as much as they think I can handle at that point or what I need. Or, yeah. um, I don't feel, I don't feel like I've experienced that. No. The more common complaint I've, I've heard is, is not typically of the instructors. It's of other students and it's not normally like they go too hard or they give me too much. The more common complaint from, from women that I've found is that the, the men underestimate them and like, don't want to like, kind of treat them with kid gloves and don't want to, hit them too hard or things like that you've never come across any of that at all in training yeah, training? I have <laughs> okay so that you have so there's that yeah just you know no, yeah you're it's not instructors but maybe other just other uh males that just yeah are afraid to do something it feels like okay you know you can give me a little bit more here to work with you know um yeah yeah I do feel like that is present yeah and it's a tricky thing I find sometimes because in some ways you don't especially in this day and age of kind of uh seemingly widespread abuse against women you know and the whole me too movement and everything that's coming out of that it's you don't want to discourage that tendency towards what's left of chivalry do you know what I mean? right. <laughs> kind of uh, kind of like well you know you should just be nice to women because you know um but there's another aspect which is just like well you should just be nice to people you know it doesn't matter whether they're men or women kind of that way but it's a, so i don't like to discourage it in that way and be like no you should smack her about because she needs it or something because <laughs> it seems right. to imply you're, you're thinking in a different way but so it's a difficult it's a difficult line to toe when you see somebody doing that and and the problem comes, I think, sometimes when people don't know their own strength, right? And and you ask them to turn it up a bit, and then they go from two out of ten to seven out of ten immediately. It's a, so it tends to be a calibration issue more than an attitude issue, I find. Don't miss your chance to train with senior system instructor Martin Wheeler at the four-day masterclass North Carolina, October 10th to 13th, 2019. The theme this year is Soft Work to Full Speed, a progressive multi-day exploration of fighting tactics covering basic moving and striking, 
advanced grappling and takedowns, full speed knife and stick work, and tapping the unconscious mind in combat. The event is strictly limited to 35 persons, and advanced pricing is $650 for both days by April the 1st, with the option of a non-returnable deposit of $150 to hold your spot. Register online at ncsystema.com events, or email us for more details. So quite apart from your training um, in Sistema for kind of your own purposes, you, you have another life as a, as a behavioral analyst and you work with um, predominantly kids, is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, mostly kids or adolescents that, you know, primarily can't, they, they're engaged in behaviors that don't allow them to be maybe in a public school setting or they need extra supports. Um that the general education setting can't give them. Yeah. So uh, like kids with autism, primarily uh, kids that have emotional behavioral disturbances, you know, from traumatic history. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I usually get called in when, you know, mostly the kids are aggressive. That um, Unfortunately, things kind of have to get really bad before they call me in. Mm. Um, although I think that it could be, better served if, if they, you know, utilize the same things that I recommend like a lot earlier on um, yeah. before things get too bad. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I get called in and I do like a functional behavior assessment. So I um, observe the entire environment, you know, the people, the sounds, the interactions between the peers, teachers, parents, the kids. Um, I take data on it. Uh, my job is to basically figure out the functional relationship between behaviors and the context in which they occur, you know, so the antecedent stimuli, what things are reinforcing it. So the consequences mm. and looking at their personal history, like, so do they have any, um, you know, mediating variables like personal sensitivities or internal states or anxiety, um, uh, visual impairment. So, uh, be, then behavioral deficits, like skill deficits, you know, most of the kids I work with, they engage in interfering behaviors, uh, because they have uh, a lot of skill deficits. Hmm. Um, and I say interfering, I like to say that instead of, you know, problem behavior or bad behavior or other words that are mo more commonly used because, um, the behavior isn't, it shouldn't be looked at as bad. What it really is, is interfering with their way, their ability to access reinforcement in their environment. You know, they, they don't have the skill set, so they engage in these other behaviors. Mm. And those behaviors are functioning for them. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like a baby that cries. They cry for, you know, all of the reasons, you know, hunger, yeah. you know, yeah. want attention, they're in pain. And so it's very similar to the kids that I work with where they, it's more a, a skill deficit problem um, instead of necessarily a bad behavior problem. So, so, so in the absence of like specific communication skills or specific ways of expressing themselves or, um, or even skill gaps relative to peers or something, they'll, they'll kind of go to the one size fits all option, which, um, which, which other people don't like in the, in the context that they're experiencing in the classroom or something. And, and that's, so you get called in to fix what is perceived as a problem, but you're not really viewing it that way. You're seeing it as, like a, a behavior which is 
trying to solve a given end for the for the kid, but you're you're trying to kind of assess what's led to that and how can they change it? Is there something like that? Absolutely, yeah. I think that you know a lot of people have a very uh, limited or older view of of behavioral techniques and interventions because of the history, because, you know, of evolving from just like basic stimulus response or, you know, yeah. trigger and consequence. But um, behavior analysis has really evolved into, you know, being able to define, um, you know, motivating operations like these these setting events where like, you know, lack of food for a period of time um, then in the presence of food, you know, that increases behavior that is food getting behavior. You know, mm. that's a really basic example that people can understand, but it, it goes with all kinds of things like, you know, um, lack of social engagement for a while. Then upon, you know, the um, availability of someone to engage with, they try to engage. It might not be the say, uh, the way that the person will respond to it. Um, so just looking at the all a lot of the antecedent variables like all each one of those things is a way to intervene is a, a you know a place to teach a skill yeah you know or alter the environment in a way so that it's more conducive to the student being able to access reinforcement yeah yeah i've become much more interested in this field myself since specifically since heather my wife started working in a uh, in a school nearby and and she like out of the class of maybe like 15 or 15 or so kids that she has in her class, um, a good like four or five at any given time are in experiencing like occupational therapy or they've, you know, been referred for various types of behavioral analysis or something like that. And it's, it's, so it seems to be, I mean, maybe it was just misdiagnosed before there's this perception that it's, you know, the problem has got worse or there's more kids showing up with autism and there's all kinds of you know, crock crockpot theories for crackpot theories rather for why yeah. autism is on the rise and things like that as well but like autism adhd kind of kinesthetic kind of dissociation things like that seem to be i mean you have to accept that they're a part of life in any given classroom i think now and, and what um what we're what heather is seeing and what i'm understanding now is that um you know unless you're in a, te a classroom with a teacher who's been trained to deal with those modalities it's it's very difficult to um to control it in a way that's going to be beneficial for the kid, right? And and it's even more difficult if you've got four kids with four different sets of needs, um, and you're trying to kind of juggle all of those whilst holding down the rest of the classroom as well. It's a, it's a tricky thing, right, for teachers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so often I get called in to do individual assessments for you know for individual students and what's going on there. But over the last five or six years, a, a lot more referrals come in to do classroom assessments. And so and because of that, because I think that there are more things going on in kids' homes that don't allow them to have the skills, you know, they might not have any uh, specific diagnosis, um, but they're just not getting access to the attention they need or, mm -hmm. um, you know, the kind of coaching they might need in order to to have the skills that they need to be successful. So I come in and, and I do assessment of a classroom and then, you know, recommend some evidence-based practices in order to like structure the classroom in a way that, you know, the prompts and the cues can kind of get anyone's attention. Like some kids might need a visual prompt or a text prompt or you know, a positional prompt, maybe you need to get closer to them, you know, and like, so like kind of 
you know, teaching them different ways to present the material and then mm. also really paying attention to when they're doing things well, mm. you know, so like putting putting in reinforcement systems um, that overlay like whatever it is they're doing in the classroom. Like oftentimes what happens is teachers are so busy, they don't stop and catch them while they're good, you know, and like pay attention like, hey, that's really good. You're doing that. And when you have a lot of kids, it's really hard to get all of the kids, yeah. you know, like pay attention and reinforce them all. So so there are methods that you can kind of do to structure it so that way, you know, the group behavior in general kind of gets better, you know. Hmm. So, so on the one hand, it seems like a very kind of clinical discipline, right? There's obviously a lot of kind of academic study that you've had to do in order to um, learn the evidence-based practices that you're going to recommend as, as a treatment. And there's off probably also, you know, a wide range of diagnostic criteria you have to look at to be able to, you know, look at an individual or a, or a classroom and assess things one by one. But in talking to you kind of uh, in, in passing about this, it also seems like there's an intuitive aspect to this. There's the kind of like, there's that kind of difficult to teach voice of experience that you have and that you can walk into a classroom and, or meet a child and just kind of get the feel for what's going on. Is, is there some aspect in which Systema has kind of crossed over with that for you? It seems like you've alluded to that in the past that this has either helped reinforce your work. And I'm, and I'm sure that the reverse is true as well, that your previous training in behavioral analysis has helped you with Systema as well. Um, but has, has there been some cross-pollination back the way from training Systema and improving your awareness in, uh, in, in your professional capacity? Yeah, they both feed. They both feed each other. Um, so yeah, the the experience part. You're right. Uh, there's so before all of my training, I worked directly with a lot of really nonverbal children for 12 hours a day for like five years, mm. and that's a lot of learning right there. You know, I don't need uh, my academics to to. Um, that they're two different things like that. The amount of learning that happens when you spend that much time with an individual hmm. just going back and forth. Um, you know, I didn't have, you know, once a week I'd have a clinician come in and help me, but I have all of these hours with a child who's like nonverbal. And when you work with somebody that can't speak and, and us being so rely, you know, reliant on our verbal behavior as adults, hmm. um, it really makes you have to be the most keen observer of everything in the environment because you have to, they're not going to tell you what's going on. You have to like watch every little thing and figure it out. And you have to, you're like kind of doing on the fly, you know, analysis, you know, mm. if I do that, what does that do to you? And like, it's this sort of, you know, constant experiment really, you yeah. know, and, Oh, that worked great. Okay. So they like that. I'm going to do this a little bit more Then I'm going to pair it with this reinforcer and like, you know, like just this constant, you know, so th that process really honed my observational skills. And like you said, what seems to be intuitive. And I think there is a part of it for sure, but I think that all of those hours, um, you know, help develop that skill set even more, just the you know, situational awareness, you know, that we talk about in Systema, just like really being observant to like, what are the interactions going on here yeah. in the environment? Mm -hmm. um, in Systema, so yeah, like I see the parallels there because th those little interactions, every little thing back and forth, I do this, you do that. What is that? How does this affect you? And how does that affect me is 
we do that in Sistema, but with movement. And mm. it's, I see this when, I, when I'm teaching, I see it as um, this like didactic dance, you know? I'm not like, I don't see myself as like, okay, I'm a teacher, I'm this holder of this knowledge that I'm now going to impart on you and teach you this thing. Mm. But I see every opportunity as is learning for me too. And I think, you know, that's what makes good teachers good is um, I think that the best teachers are the most avid learners. And that means that you're looking at every interaction that you have as something that you can gain out of it. And you learn a lot if you if you look at it that way. Mm. And and I see Sistema that way, you know, but just in a, a movement aspect, I do this, then, then what, how does that affect your body? You know, how does that affect your emotional state? You do this to me, how's that affecting me? Yeah. I don't know. So I see that those similarities there. As, as, so definitely a lot of parallels. Have you, have you seen your professional work change at all as a result of having started training Systema? Cause it's been several years now that you're in and people often report this and, and you know, it could be in any way at all. Have you seen it kind of has anything about the way that you do your job changed because of Sistema, you feel? Um, my, uh, my emotional health has been better. Um, I, I'm really good at being neutral when I'm working. Um, and I would say that my job wasn't stressful, but mm. I, I had, I think, an incorrect definition of what stress was. I think because I loved what I do and it was so stimulating and fun and engaging that I didn't actually realize like my own internal environment. Like mm. I, I just good at being professional and, and being able to do it and not actually acknowledging like how much like the, my face would read that I was like in pain or uncomfortable. And like, you know, I'm good at like, I'm not gonna, you know, take out any of my feelings or anxiety on any of my students, but mm. I also need an outlet for that. You yeah. know, that's side of that. And I never did that before. And so what Sistema gave me really was my own health and my own ability to um, honor what is happening inside of me instead of just being like, I'm the strong person. I can be neutral here. I'm professional. And like, yeah. that's great. And that's what needs to be done for the job. But it's really given me like my ability to be calm inside and and honor what's happening for me inside and then take the steps to like whatever I need to do to take care of that and maintain that healthiness. That's great. Yeah, it seems to me akin to some of the trainees that we've had that have worked in emergency room medicine or, you know, EMTs and stuff like that. Um, who just have to do a, a very stressful job and they have to kind of maintain calmness under pressure or at least perceived calmness under pressure, right? There's only so calm you can stay sometimes when there's right. <laughs> tr truly awful yeah. things happening with kids, you know, getting pulled out of burning car wrecks and things like that. Um, but I think the difference that's reportedly um, to them with training system is that it gives them something to do afterwards besides go to the, you know, go to the bar and power drink to try and forget what it was, you know, or right. something like that, or like, uh, or the wind down from the excitement or things like that as well, that it gives you a way to acknowledge and process what's going on in your body rather than kind of just shoving it deep down inside and telling yourself that you're tough, right? They're, they're two different things. Exactly. Yeah. And, and not just like, not just after, like you said, like to do something after, but like doing it during the day, you mm -hmm. know, when I'm working with kids that are emotionally dysregulated, I model 
I model what helps me. I do, you know, systemic breathing exercises. I do, um, you know, tension and relaxation stuff. And I, I say what I'm doing out loud and see mm. if they, if they're open to doing it, you know? Um, so I've, I've started to bring some of that in, in an informal way. I'm hoping to bring it into that in a more formal way yeah. soon. Um, but, but I've been able to bring it in in an informal way and I've had good responses from, from some of my students and some of the staff that are observing me do that. Then are like, Oh, that's, that's something I think we could use, you know? And then, um, so that's pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. So if you had, um, if you had a piece of advice for somebody who was kind of looking at Systema and maybe it was, you know, one of their friends is training and they look at it and they see their posts on Facebook and they're like, this looks kind of weird. She's pushing and pulling with these strange guys and some looks like somebody's stepping on her at one point. And you know, there's all these kinds of weird kind of associations that people can get as somebody that came into it, not because you were looking for, you know, the martial arts and the, the rough and the tumble, so to speak, but um, as a form of kind of stress management and understanding yourself, right? It's kind of like a self-reflective practice in a way and for health. Um, what what advice would you give to somebody um, to, to try and convince them to give it a try, right? Because I, I find that people who are martial artists find out about Sistema anyway, and they'll find their own way to our clubs and our seminars and things. But there's, there's just untapped ball of people outside of that narrow range of people who actually want to practice martial arts who I feel like could def- could benefit so much from systemic training but they can be so hard to reach they can be so hard to convince that it's for them that's something they can do and they can benefit from um what what advice would you give to that person how would you tell them to uh, to have a go hmm. it's a tricky one I know <laughs> yeah it's one I ask every every once in a while on the podcast, and I'm hoping through some sort of crowdsourcing effect, we can, we can come to a, a definition that's going to help everybody. I mean, I guess I can just say what I have said to those people to get them to try to get interested in coming to like my class. Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's like the reasons why it helped me. You know, um, I came for the health reasons, but I also got all this fun, you know, you know, confidence building, like self-defense stuff in addition but to I I, you kind of have to I think understand maybe what what would be motivating to that person and and tell them like you know hey whatever it is that you're you know struggling with or would like to do a little more of you know breathing helps with that being more relaxed helps with that um you know being able to uh, be present with your internal internal environment and also your external environment and alter your um, attention between those two can actually help you in in all kinds of situations like all of your relationships in your life you know work and meeting new people uh, raising children and you know so I, I see I think systemic can help everybody so I try to I try to put you know, that into their context, you know, whatever it is, I kind of know like that, that who they are and what they do in life. I say, Hey, this could, this can help you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Excellent. So everybody run with that advice and drag at least 12 friends into summer classes soon. So So, um, so what's next for you? Do you plan to um, continue training with your group, growing your group up there in Vermont and um, going backwards and forwards to to HQ to train with um, Vladimir and Manny and all the people that you've uh, had to, had the pleasure of training with over the past few years. Yeah. 
I intend to do all of that. Um, my group is only a few months into it. I just really started kind of advertising it in the last, you know, maybe few weeks to a month. Um, it's mostly just been word of mouth so far, which is great because it just gives me some time to spend with a few people and, you know, get connected. And, and so that's fine for now, just a small group, but I will be advertising more for it. And yeah, just continue training and traveling to do more training. You know, teaching is really, you know, I was nervous about starting the group, like, as you know, but, um, it's been so rewarding just getting, you know, I am, I'm just a a teacher anyway, you know, obviously outside of Sistema. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, put in this context, but you learn so much, you learn so much by teaching, you know, it's, if you're, if you're open to it and you just, you're observing what's happening, it's this great, great thing that you can, that I find that to be able to help this person find this, you see where they're stuck and you try to like guide them, you know, not necessarily, you can't do it for them, but you know, everybody's different. Everybody comes with their own learning history and, and, um, it's really fun to be able to get to know each person and figure out how, how can I help this person kind of understand some of the things that I understand, you know, and just watch them move, interact with them. And it's really fun. And I, I hope to keep doing it as long as I have people that want to learn. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's a lovely bit aspect to being the leader of a training group, I think in, in a way versus being kind of like a professional martial arts instructor who has to hold down the school and, you know, all those kinds of things. And especially given that in Sistema, we don't really have those extrinsic rewards, right? We don't have belts and we don't have gradings and all that kind of stuff. So you, we're not put upon to kind of reward people in specific ways for training or make too much money from it or something like that. And it's, um, there's, there's something very liberating about that, that model, which Vladimir has recommended, you know, from the beginning that if you're in a place and, you know, there's no system or instructors there, start a training group, you know, get some friends yeah. together and, you know, watch some books, watch some, read some, uh, sorry, watch some uh, videos and read some of the recommended books and come to seminars and then share what you've learned. You know, I think it's a very nice kind of generous aspect to Sistema that we'd like the knowledge to be shared, right? It's not kind of held like some sort of secret from people. Yeah, I love that. I think everybody should have the knowledge. Yeah, I think it's great. Well. Okay. Well, um, well, I went uh, plaster your uh, your group details all over the internet with the with the show notes and things like that. If you're looking to <laughs> to grow slowly, but um, if people who are in Vermont um who might be interested, who might be listening to this, uh, are interested in finding your training group, um, do you mind if uh, so they could maybe contact us here at NC Sistema and I could pass them your details or something like that? Yeah. Sure. That's great. Okay, great. Marvellous. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Sarah. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to chat. and I look forward to continuing to uh, train with you, watching your group grow and watching to see how you apply the principles of Sistema to, um, to your work in behavioral analysis and, and helping a whole new audience full of people. Yeah, thanks so much, Glenn. I appreciate it. Grant, take care. Me too. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.